evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. <laughs> well, hello, hello, how are ya? Doing all right tonight, Matt? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good, brother. I'm going to I'm going to say brother because we hadn't said brother in a couple episodes. That's true, brother. It's been a little while. <laughs> we got to get out our brother quote uh, quotient here. So So I had to bring something up um because it it boggled my mind and I haven't told you about this yet. Um I was on my way home today and this goes out to the lady in front of me and anybody else on the road who decides to do this. I'm driving home today, and I'm getting on one of the entrance ramps to get onto the interstate. And it had kind of slowed down, so we're we're going fairly slow, maybe 15 miles per hour, because you know that's Tennessee highway speed. <laughs> um, well, I notice a hand comes out of the window, in front of me and she's kind of like wiggling her fingers and everything. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Well, goes back in and it does it again. And then this clump of hair flies out of her hand, lands on my windshield and gets hooked onto my windshield wiper. So I've got this, this woman's <laughs> blonde clump of hair stuck two feet from me on my windshield wiper. It sounds like something out of a movie. It does. And I, I'm like, okay, so she's I, pulling her hair out or cleaning her hairbrush or something. I mean, yeah, Tennessee traffic will make you pull your hair out, but I don't need Literally. you. Yeah, I don't need you throwing it out your your car window and it landing on mine. So I couldn't get it off until I had gotten up to <laughs> highway speed and I'm hitting the windshield wiper thing to make it <laughs> flop around and it finally fell off. But I've got this this clump of nasty blonde hair it was a yeah i just so it lady if you're listening if that was you that hit my car first of all stop that's gross don't do that throw it in a bag or something you know wait till you get home and throw it out the rest of us don't need your your tumble weaves hitting our car <laughs> tumble weaves. <laughs> well you've seen those rolling down the street some tumble weaves Anyway, <laughs> y'all can use that if you want to. I'm, I don't own that. So, um, so I just saw today um, another article about this, and I wanted to bring it up. Um, Matt, you know what I'm talking about. There, um, since 2007, uh, along British Columbia and the Pacific Northwest, there have been feet washing up on the shore, and it's been no other body part. It's just been feet, um, shoed, unshoed, whatever. No arms, no legs attached to these feet, just feet. Um, since 2007, there's been a total of 18, if you include the one that happened just a couple days ago. Um, authorities are unsure of where the body parts are coming from, but they they're trying to tell everybody that it's not in quote it's not result of foul play 
How do they know this? How can you tell if if a foot washes up on the beach? Yeah, I've got a foot. Something's here. foul about it. Right, exactly. That's foul <laughs> whether there's play or not. Uh, how can you tell by looking at a foot if something if it's foul play or not? I don't understand. So the forensic experts are again in quotes perplexed as to why it's only feet and nothing else well yeah that's my question i can't figure out why they would be perplexed right it's feet yeah it's just feet right there's no elbows no you know there's no no noses or nothing coming up just feet right there there's not like a lower leg attached to these feet (laughs) either it's just a foot and there's a few theories that they've put out, and none of these make sense to me. They've said it could be result of suicide. Okay, if it's result of suicide, where's the rest of the person that suicided? Right. You know? Yeah. What, what, what form of suicide just causes you to lose both feet? You just lose a foot. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's not like just both feet wash up at the same time. It's oh, like, well, you can't expect that. Well, no, that's true. That would be too easy. Um. Well, they ought to start pairing them up and see if they can you get would, a magic yeah, set. Yeah, I don't know if they have or not, you know. <laughs> um, I heard somewhere, and it may be, it may not be true, but I heard that they did DNA testing on a foot and that the guy that it linked to was still alive and, and had, had both, both feet. feet. Now I don't know whether that's true or not. I didn't. I couldn't find that when I was I remember, doing. Some, I remember reading that. I think that was that was in a show. What? I think that was in a a fictionalized podcast. Maybe. You know what? I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. Um. Um. Uh. Tannis. Yeah, I think it was. I think it, it was, was in Tannis, Tannis, wasn't it? Okay. Now I'm crossing my fiction with my fact here. That's yeah. not. That's not a good sign for tonight. <laughs> no. Um. Anyway, uh, another one of their theories is accidents at sea. Um, so, okay. Yeah. That would cause body parts to wash up. But yet again, why have they're in the, it calls other ones? Yeah. In the decade that this has been happening, why is it only feet? What's happening to the rest of the, the body parts? I've got a theory. Okay. There's a, there's a shark out there that just thinks it's absolutely disgusting to eat somebody's feet. I, you know, I, <laughs> I've known people like that too. I'll, so I'll eat the rest, but I'm not yeah, going to eat I, these They feet. spit out the feet. It, yeah. Well, it's like the people that don't like the end of a sausage, you know, the they'll eat, they'll bite off the end of the sausage, spit it out and then eat the rest yeah. of it. And I'm like, it's all sausage. It won't eat the heel of the bread. They right. won't eat the end of the sausage. Right. They so they won't eat the feet. They won't eat the feet off the body. Um, the other, the other theory that they have at the moment is victims of the big tsunami that hit Sumatra in 2004. Again, Where's the rest of the body? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. You know, the tsunami, and again, the tsunami is prejudice against feet. <laughs> Apparently. It took everything else, and it's like, as the tsunami goes, it's spitting out the feet and just leaving that, you know. Right. But I'm, to use their words, I'm perplexed as well. <laughs> um, so y'all listening, if y'all have any theories or if y'all have heard it and y'all have seen any more than we have, Get get in touch with us, Facebook, Twitter, email. Let us know what you think. Let us know, you know, whatever you've heard. I just thought that was a very interesting thing. And I've kind of, through the years as it's been going, I've kind of been catching the the little news articles and stuff as it comes out just because it's 
freaking weird. Yeah, that it's totally weird. So on to our topic tonight, Matt. What are we talking about tonight? Okay, so tonight's episode uh, is about voodoo, the history, how you do it, why you do it, right. all those all those kind of neat things. Everything you've ever wanted to know about voodoo, but were afraid to ask. That's what's on tonight's show, right? And you know, sorry to break it to everybody, but it is not what Hollywood portrays. Yeah, not at all. Um, you know, if you watch the uh, the movie The Skeleton Key or anything like that, The Skeleton Key was pretty good, but you know, it still takes it to that weird, dark Hollywood place. And in our research and everything, we've verified it's not what Hollywood says it is. No. So. Matt, why don't you start us down this rabbit hole that you fell? Okay, so uh, let's start by talking a little bit about the the history of voodoo and and where it where it originated. So, voodoo or voodoo or vodun, um, however you you pronounce it or spell it, probably a lot better than our accents. Allow. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, it originated in West Africa, and the word voodoo means God creator or or great spirit. And one of the unique things about voodoo is that at its heart, it believes in a one true spiritual being, you know, an, an overall God um, that, that governs life and so forth. But the god in voodoo is is a distant, unreachable, you know, entity that you you strive to commune with and and can't. So there are three different kinds of voodoo. And real quick, they call the um the unknowable god, they call him Bondi. Bondi, yeah. So <clears throat> there are three types of voodoo. There's the West African voodoo, which is the original. It's where it originated um, and how it got to North America and in the Caribbean and the places we commonly associate with voodoo. During the slave trade, when white English people from the New World ventured over to Africa, they would take these, um, these, these African people that were there living in tribes and villages, and they would, you know, attack them. And a lot of times, you know, there were tribal wars, and one tribe would be conquered, would be victorious over another tribe, and they would, they would sell those people to the white man because the white man had all kinds of stuff that they didn't have. <clears throat> so there they go. And so they're they're arriving in the New World, in the West Indies, and they practice a religion that is unlike anything the Western world had seen. And so, as I said, voodoo, at its heart, it's a religion. You know, it it serves you know one supreme God. And so these uh, these West Africans arrived, and weren't able to fully practice their religion. It was frowned upon. It was different. 
uh, it included a lot of tribal dress, dancing, chanting, drums. And a lot of times it was punished by death because it was misunderstood. As, so, as in a lot of history, if something is misunderstood, it's scary. Thus, we have to suppress it. Right. So they began to look at what religions were around them, you know, in the practice of their own. And they began to take cues from Catholicism. There was a lot of ceremonial dress, the use of religious artifacts. There was a ritualistic style to the worship. And practitioners of voodoo could get into that. So they began to morph a little bit into a, a more Western-friendly form of voodoo. Right. Which became Louisiana voodoo, sometimes called New Orleans voodoo. So it's very Catholic, French, Spanish, Creole. Right. Influenced. You know, so there, there's a lot of, uh, you know, ritualistic, um, a lot of pomp and circumstance, for lack of a better word. It's, it's very showy. It's right. very outward. Even though a practitioner may be private, you know, their, their act of practicing voodoo, you know, is, you know, very, you know, flamboyant. Right. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, the third type of voodoo is Haitian voodoo, which Haitian voodoo is almost uh, exclusively French influenced because of the French presence, you know, in Haiti. And so it, it has a lot, lot more of the original Western, uh, West African voodoo traits um, than say the the Louisiana or New Orleans voodoo does, but it, it still took a lot of those Catholic, um, you know, ceremonies, you know, into play. Uh, the saints mainly is right. uh, is really what they pulled from Catholicism, um, because in in voodoo you you pray through what's called a loa, and we're going to get into the loa here in just a little bit. But a loa is a spirit or a, a spirit guardian of the spirit world. It's the communication between this uh, distant, uh, non-present deity that that practitioners of voodoo serve, and it's how they they communicate to the spirit world. It's how they communicate to this god, um, and they saw that in Catholicism. You know the saints. Um, you know, you, you pray to St. Peter, you, you know, you pray to St. Mary, you, you know, that it's how you communicate to God right? is by praying through these saints. It, it you know, it's, it, it's almost identical in how they do it, you know, yeah. with, with, you know, virtually a desire of the same result. So now that we've talked about the, the three different kinds, let's, let's focus in on a little bit of what most people think of. When they think of voodoo in this country, and that's going to be New Orleans voodoo. Right, New Orleans so, voodoo. So, uh, you know, like you said, New Orleans voodoo is a lot different from the original West African voodoo. It's got a lot of Creole influence, 
um, and this idea of the Creole uh, and and praying to the spirits or praying to the saints is where Santeria comes from. You know, very similar. It's it's kind of a, a voodoo Creole Catholic conglomeration. Right. You know, there's a lot of similar practices and things like that. We're we're not going to get into Centuria tonight. That's another show. <laughs> no, another show, another song. <laughs> another song. I don't practice Centuria. Sorry. But um as as much of it is it's different. And and they there's an estimated 15% of the population in New Orleans practice uh voodoo. Which is pretty amazing. That's a yep. lot of people. That's a lot of people. You think about a city the size of New Orleans and yep. 15% of them practice voodoo in some form or fashion. Right. Explains why there's a voodoo shop every time you turn around. Yeah, no kidding. Um, but most voodoo practitioners are are focused on one thing, and that's health and healing. And at its core, that's what voodoo is about. Voodoo is, is healing, healing relationships, relationships within yourself, relationships with other people, Ultimately, the relationship with God. Right. Okay. So most voodoo practitioners aren't worried about anything other than peace, health, prosperity, good luck, and happiness. And the protection that voodoo brings is so powerful that the majority of practitioners don't really have to even concern themselves with things like curses or hexes. Um but they're there, and, and we're going to talk about those a little bit later too. Um, I, I kind of, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I lost my place. All right. Well, I tell you what. <laughs> while you're while you're finding your place, this would be a good time to take a quick break from this and discuss one of our. You know, we like to give you podcasts that you need to go listen to. Um, friends of ours or podcasts that we found that we really like. And one of those that we wanted to throw y'all's way is Double Density. And I know some of y'all know Double Density, some of y'all don't. Um, But Double Density is two guys, Brian and Angelo, and they're two super nice guys, super smart guys. Um, they, They have a split show where... The first half of their show is tech talk. So if you're tech minded or you want to be more tech minded, then that's the part for you. They've got, you know, they they talk Apple products because Angelo, I think, sometimes is sponsored by Apple. I'm not 100 percent sure, but he either gets paid by them or or he pays. I don't know. One of the one of the two. Um, Brian is more of a, you know, more like me, more of the Android guy. And that mix and mash there, I, I like because it gives you kind of both sides of the tech coin and they, they know what they're talking about. Um, the other half of their show is the paranormal. So they cover stuff like we do, you know, UFOs and Bigfoot and ghosts and everything. So you get pretty much the best of both worlds with one podcast. And because of them and some of the other ones I listen to, I think we might have to throw another segment in ours, split ours up and do something, you know, (laughs) I don't know what we would do. I mean, 
I can complain and get angry about things. So we could do a what's, dog, dog treat reviews. There you go. There you go. And Adam, I, Adam will try them and I'll tell you what kind of face he's making while he's eating. That's actually not a bad idea. I've got dog treats in the other room, so we can do that. Anyway, before we get too far off topic, because we're dumb, uh, let's let Brian and Angelo tell you a little bit about them. From Apple products to Zelda games, and from aliens to zombies, we are Double Density. Tech Tales and Paranormal Primers with your hosts, Brian and Angelo. New episodes every Wednesday. DoubleDensity.net All right, so... That was the double density guys. Um, I have to say, don't they sound sweet? They just sound like sweet guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really enjoy listening to them. Um, I suggest you guys go check them out. Give them a give them a follow. Give them a good rating on iTunes wherever you find them. Uh, help them out. Um, did you find your place, Matt? I did. All right, let's and, get um, back to it. If any of y'all are wondering, you know, when we do this, uh, we're just talking. We're, right. we're looking at one another and we're just talking and we're looking back and forth at notes. It's like we're just kind of sitting here having a talk. So if you've ever been just talking and talking and talking and then forgot where in the hell you were and what you were saying, <laughs> it happens. And we don't edit that crap out. No, we, we just leave it because this is like you're sitting here with us. Right. And you'll notice as the topics get more and more involved, we will probably <laughs> do that more. Yeah, and, you know I mean you just you just really get on a roll, and all of a sudden you're like, "Where the hell was I?" Yeah, you're like, "Okay, I know I had something else, but I got to look down." And then you look down, and you your mind is blank; you can't read words anymore. Yeah, you know. So anyway, we hope you you enjoy that, right? But, um, but yeah. So anyway, we were we were just kind of talking about the the history of voodoo, and and where it originated, and how it got to this part of the world, and so. Now we're going to start kind of branching out into some different aspects of voodoo. And uh, Adam had done some research on some different paraphernalia that... Um, for lack is, of a better word. For lack of a better word uh, of what's used in, in voodoo. So Adam Adam's going to talk a little bit about that. All right. So to preface all of this, um, there was a time when Adam would take probably once or twice a year would take a trip down to New Orleans. And I love New Orleans. It's, you know, great city. Loved exploring. I love the French Quarter. Holy crap, I love the French Quarter. Yeah, I've never been. Ugh. But I've wanted to go for years. Yeah, well, we're going to go. I'll be your tour guide because I, I know All that right. place. Um, so I would frequent voodoo shops when I would go down there. And I had one that I, I really liked. So I learned a little bit of what I'm about to talk about from being there and asking questions and all that, and from some people that live down there. But then I did some more research, um, kind of more in-depth. Um, one of the things that um, is a big deal in the voodoo religion is Grigri. Um, and Grigri, it's basically charms or talismans um, that's kept for good luck or to ward off evil um it can be literally a a charm can be a gree gree 
Um, but a lot of times, like if you go to a voodoo shop or you talk to a voodoo practitioner and they prescribe Grigri for you, they're going to prescribe basically a bag. Um, and it has different medicinal herbs or holy objects or anything in there for your protection. Um, it's like, what, what do they say? It's got um, different elements like salt or, or a, a stone. Yeah. Salt's a big thing with voodoo. Yes, it is. It's always high um, blood pressure. Because yeah, right. <laughs> that's just that's that Creole cooking, baby. Um, but basically, it it's because um, it's one of the it it represents one of the four elements. Uh, it represents the earth element, um, and true Grigri is made on an altar that contains salt, incense, water, and fire. So a candle or something. So that it encompasses that Grigri. Um, and it was such a big part of the New Orleans voodoo scene that at one point, every police officer was known to carry a Grigri for protection while they were on duty. Um, and it, you know, it's supposed to help with attracting money and love, stopping gossip, uh, protecting your home, maintaining good health, and achieving a whole bunch of other ends. Um, so Grigri was a big thing. And I know in some of the voodoo shops that I went to, you could buy like pre-made Grigri. Um, and if you went to the more touristy ones, like Marie Laveau's voodoo shop, um, which just a hint for all you guys, if you want real voodoo, don't go to Marie Laveau's voodoo shop. That's total tourist. Yeah. Um, there's other ones down there that are traditional voodoo. Um, but to some of the ones that I've been to, they have those pre-done. Or, you know, if you talk to one of the, the voodoo practitioners there, they can make you up a special Grigri. Um, one for your specific needs. Um, yeah, you'd, you'd want some personalized Grigri. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't want like Joe Schmo's Grigri. Yeah, you it's got. Like, it protects him from roaches or something. Right. You, you got know, I'm generic. Like generic uh gree gree and yeah you're like i don't i don't understand nothing's happening but i hadn't seen a bug in like two hours this is great um but since i mentioned marie laveau um one of the legends that revolves around marie laveau and we'll get into who marie laveau is and stuff if you don't know we'll get into her a little bit later um she was the original voodoo queen of new orleans but the legend claims that her Grigri used to contain bits of bone, colored stone, graveyard dust, which they also call goofer dust, salt, and red pepper. Um, but some more of her elaborate Grigris could be made with bird nest and horsehair weavings. So basically, whatever is needed for a desired effect can be put in Grigri. Um, one of the other things that is in voodoo and everybody associates with voodoo. Like when I say voodoo, the first thing that probably comes to your mind is voodoo doll. Oh yeah. And believe it or not, a voodoo doll is not a huge aspect of voodoo. It does have its place. It does have its time, but it's not for what 
Hollywood makes you think. Um, you know, Hollywood tells you that it's for putting a curse on someone and, you know, you can stab a pin in there and they feel it and it hurts them and all that. That's not at all what it is. Um, a voodoo doll is basically an object that is supposed to represent the likeness of somebody. And you can communicate with that person's spirit through the voodoo doll. Um, now, you have to create a link, a psychic link with that voodoo doll and the person that you're intending it for. Um, but it is not for harm. It is for health and healing and you know, general wellness for that person. Um, and the different colors of voodoo dolls mean different things. And I'll read these out real quick. Uh, white voodoo doll is positive purification and healing. Red is for love, attraction, or power. Green is growth, wealth, money, and fertility. Yellow is for success and confidence. Purple is for the spirit realm, wisdom, or psychic exploration. Blue is for love and peace, and black is the negative voodoo doll. It can be used to dispel negative energy, or some some cases it can be used to summon it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, the pins that you always associate with voodoo dolls, they do have a place, they do have a purpose, um, and those colors, those same colors with the voodoo dolls are associated with the pins as well but they are stuck in the doll to emphasize the intention not to cause harm but you know you want to want to make someone you know more pure help purify them heal them then you would take a white pin and a white doll and with each prayer you would shove a pin into the doll so it's basically putting a stamp of emphasis on that prayer um you know, so it's not what it, it's not at all what Hollywood makes you think where you're, you know, you can put a spell on someone through this voodoo doll and move them around. And, you know, you throw them down the stairs and they fall down the stairs and get yeah. hurt and all that. And there there are plenty of stories that will. Uh, will sell you into that idea, it, you, you know, you can go to Reddit. I read. Oh half a dozen stories about people that had experience with negative experiences with voodoo doll. Right. That were more like, Oh, well, this is like a Hollywood story. Right. Uh, I mean, you know, yeah. And it, so you got to watch out for that, you know? Yeah. And you know, you, when, it, when you start researching this kind of stuff, the, that top layer is, is going to be all the, here it is on a nice little bow. And this is exactly what the media and Hollywood mm -hmm. says that this is what this stuff is. Lucky for you, we we dig a little bit deeper than that. Not a whole lot. Yeah, not a whole lot. <laughs> but we do get past that initial crust of crap. Yeah, so. we know how to weed that out at least. <laughs> yeah. Um, we we do dig our way back out of the rabbit hole pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the other things you'll see in voodoo used a lot is chicken feet, um, dried chicken feet. Oh God. And um. Chicken feet are used for protection mainly. Um, they're hung in doorways or on rearview mirrors to ward off evil spirits or to ward off anybody coming into your home that intends you harm. Um, so, you know, if you go to a, the home of someone who practices voodoo or to a voodoo shop, 
there's usually some chicken feet hanging in the doorway. You may may or may not see them. You know, they may be outside. They may be inside hanging. Um, but that's what it's for. It's to um, ward off um, evil. Um, one of the other things. Oh, hang on. I got a thing about chicken feet. Oh, yeah? What, what you got? You, you, did you know you can buy chicken feet at Walmart? I think I've seen them In there, the meat yeah. department? Yep. yep. So there they are in a tray. Right. Like thighs and legs and wings. Mm-hmm. Except it doesn't say chicken feet. What's it say? It says chicken paws. Chicken paws? P-A-W-S paws. Chicken paws. I have never heard it called a chicken yeah. paw. Yeah. So I'm standing there looking at it. And I asked my five-year-old, hey, what's that? She looks at it and says, chicken fingers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean... <laughs> She's not wrong. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. That story cracks yeah. me up every well, time. Chicken fingers is closer than chicken paws. That's right. I mean, good lord, Walmart, come on now. Uh, all right, you you may continue. All right, chicken fingers. Um, so one of the other uh, big things in voodoo is candles, and I am not going to go through every color of candle as to what they mean you can oh, look that up I, no i don't have it in me man we'd be here all night um but candles are burned during ceremonies during prayer during rituals um to emphasize a certain point and whatever the candle color is it, it depends on what you're emphasizing now i got a I told y'all I went down to New Orleans a lot. Um, And I was dating a girl at the time, and that's why I was going down there. She had family down there. And we were in one of the voodoo shops that I like to frequent quite often. And I'm standing there looking at all the, the candles and everything, and she had gone off to some other side of the store. And there had been this... An old man standing behind the counter, you know, I assume he owned it or worked there or whatever. When she walks off, he comes kind of slowly walking up to me and stands beside me for a second. And so I kind of turned and looked at him and I said, hey, you know, and he's like, hey, what's going on? I said, I'll just, you know, kind of looking at the candles. He goes, yeah, he goes, "I, I think you need to get three specific ones. And I said, oh yeah? You know, and I'm thinking he's trying to sell me some candles. And uh, I was like, so just, I need to pick out three? He goes, no, you need these. And he walked through and he grabbed me three different colors. Black, pink, and light blue. And I remember it all to this day because it, it was either, it was either a, Big coincidence, or there's something to it. Um, and he said, Take these three, and he gave them to me. He didn't charge me for them, which at that point I was like, Okay, so he's not just trying to sell me something. He just gave them to me. He said, Just stick them in your pocket. And, you know, when you get home, he said, I want you to burn the black one first and then burn the pink and the blue one together. And I said, okay, what what do I do? He goes, just burn the black one first, and then when you light the pink and the blue one, he goes, just sit there and be quiet. 
Don't think about anything. Don't do anything. Just be quiet. Now, I'm going to read to you what these three different colors mean. Black is a strong banishing color. Black is associated with transition and rest. Burn a black candle to absorb negativity, break a bad habit, or mark the end of a phase in your life. Many protective spells include a black candle. The pink. Pink is the color of emotional well-being, sensuality, and matters of the heart. Choose a pink pink candle when you wish to grow in compassion and self-love or attract the love of others. Forgiveness and reconciliation spells also call for gentle pink. Light blue. The calming, cleansing energy of light blue is used for spells of healing and also to dispel anger. Light blue invokes the soothing qualities of the element of water without its deeper, more dangerous properties. The color of unclouded daylight, light blue, is also good for truth-seeking. So, I do this. I get home. I burn those. You know, that was home as in back up here to Tennessee. And I did them when the girlfriend at the time was at work. And so I did all that. Didn't think anything about it. Well, the next day, I find out that she had been cheating on me and running around and all that stuff, and we broke up. Now, reading those candle colors, you know, is that was that just a big coincidence? Or is there something to that, that I burned those candles and then the revelation came as to what was happening, the truth came out, um, you know, I don't know. Couldn't tell you. It's just always stuck with me because it was a really weird coincidence if yeah. if it or, was not real. Or was this guy in the shop just really, really perceptive and noticed something about your mannerisms right. and the way you react, interacted with her that thought, hmm, you know. Something's I, going on. and You know, I can yeah. give up these guys. The, the funny thing is, is that would have been a way to sell you three candles. Exactly. But he didn't. He didn't. He gave so, them to me. You know, those are the kind of things that make you really go, hmm, there may be something to this. Right. There may be a little little more in it than we want to see from the outside. Well, one thing that you really have to understand is that people that are that are true practitioners of voodoo, these people are not they're not in it to make money. Right. They're not in it to convince you to believe in it. They are interested in in helping themselves and others. And that's what it's about. That's why these shops are there. Right. So if they pick up on a problem, they're going to try to help it, even if it's subtly. Right. Um, you know, so it, it's not a scheme. It, it, you know, it's, it's not a cult. You know, it's not a, hey, we're going to say we're going to open up this shop. We're going to make a lot of money. It's it's not what it's about. Right. Come drink our Kool-Aid kind of thing. And so when you when you take all of that out of the equation and you just and you look at it for what it is, you really have to start to think. These people, they believe in this stuff for a reason. Yep. You know, they have seen it help themselves. They have seen it help others. Right. They they believe in it. And they practice it, and and it's it's their life, right? You know, I I heard an interview where they were talking to a gentleman, and he said, 
voodoo is not a religion like you you go to a place on Sunday and you know then you go live the rest of your life the rest of the week and then you meet back here again. He said it's not like that. Right. He said it's it's a complete lifestyle. It's it's the whole thing. And his words were you don't choose voodoo. Voodoo chooses you. And and this is what he said it's it's all around you. It's it's a constant thing. It's it's how you get up in the morning. It's how you interact with people in the community. You know, it's how you eat your food. It's, you know, how you sleep, how you dream. It's it's everything. Right. You know, which is you know, kind of outside of what a lot of people think of when they think of organized religion. Yeah. There is no church or meeting hall that you go to once right. a week. And there's no set rules to say, well, you're doing this wrong and you're doing this different and everything. It's just kind of out there. And, right. You know, you, you, you take it on. So, um, you know, there, there's, like I said, 15% of yeah. a U.S. city. Uh, it's a lot of people. And a whole lot of people. They're they're not doing this to be funny or, you know, to make yeah. a quick buck. I there's mean, I imagine there's there's plenty of them out there that are. Oh yeah, you know. But yeah, and you, you know, know it when you, you walk you, into the store, you know, because you see the t-shirts, you know, all the the logo logo t-shirts and everything that are hanging up that say Marie Laveau Voodoo Queen, you know, and mm-hmm. and all that stuff. You know the touristy voodoo shops as soon as you walk in because it's like going to Florida. And you go into one of their their gift shops down there. Yeah, it's got the same kind of stuff, but it's all got that little New Orleans flair to it. But it's all souvenirs and trinkets and all that stuff. And in a voodoo shop, an actual voodoo shop, they don't have that. Um, so that's really, I mean, those are the major points of the the major, as you said, paraphernalia that is used in voodoo. Um, they do use ritual oils and the type. Uh, the manners that you would think of for blessing and anointing people and all that. And they, they use a lot of medicinal herbs, which kind of strikes home for me. Cause I'd consider myself an herbalist, um, try to use as much herbal medicine as possible without prescription and all that stuff. And that, that's kind of the way they do it too. Um, you know, where I have, you've seen it, I have a cabinet in there full of medicinal herbs. I've got my textbooks and I know what is used for what. And it's kind of the same deal with them and they use it in that same way, but they also take it to a spiritual side where this same plant, like I would use lemon balm to help soothe a headache and to calm you down and all that stuff. They would also find the the spiritual healing part of lemon balm or whatever herb may be right and take it a little further than I do. But you know, um, I guess what we should probably get into, you had mentioned Loa earlier and all that. So we should probably get into kind of how, um, yeah, how, how it's done. How, how do you practice? How do you practice voodoo? So, um, we did, we mentioned these, the Loa, which are the the spirits that are the gatekeepers to you know the spirit world, the place of the dead, and they are who you communicate through to talk to the the supreme god or the bond bondi or bondu, however you you wish to pronounce it. Um, 
but they are they are spiritual intermediaries between the living and the spirit world, ultimately to God. There are 121 loa in, in Haitian voodoo, and to summon or conjure a loa, you, you have to know which one you're trying to talk to. So different loa respond to, to different chants, to different dances, to different offerings, they, they each have their own specific color. They each have their own specific number, uh, a certain day of the week, uh, or an element of nature. Um, <clears throat> some are fire, some are water, some are earth, some are wind. Um, they're, they're tree, loa, um, you know, anything you can, you know, when you, when you start thinking about this, you start thinking about things like fairies and things like that, you know? Yeah. Um, well, it's a lot you know, like the, the native American religion of yes, where there, absolutely. there are gods for the grass and there is mother earth and, and the God of the sun and, you know, right. I mean, Greek as well, you know, right. Greek religions as well. So in, in order to, to summon a Loa, you you go through a uh, a priestess or a mambo or a, a voodoo priest or a hungan, and they perform the ceremony. And the act of the ceremony is meant to bring about uh, their possession by the loa, you know, to to actually um, allow their spirit to channel, you know, through their body. And so the reason for this is. You know, for example, if if you were entering into a business venture and, and you wanted to ensure its success, or if there was something about the the person or persons you were going into this venture with that you just weren't sure of, and you thought, maybe I can I can communicate to the spirits to, to find the answer. Are these the people? Are these trustworthy? Are these the people I need to do business with? Is my is my business going to be successful? And and you can go to a priest or a priestess and and channel Aloha to to ask these questions of the spirit world or of God, you know, to to derive an answer of, of what you should do. You know, sometimes it could be just a prayer. You know, you know, please. Please let my son get over this illness, you know, and or we we lost my grandmother's wedding dress and it was a family heirloom. Can we communicate with her? Ask her where it is, you know, things like that. Um, so, you know, again, these are not things that are in any way, you know, scary or evil or dark. I mean, this is just. This is how it's practiced. So maybe shattering some of the myths that, you know, people have in their head about what voodoo is. But at its heart, this is exactly what it is. So in order to to channel a specific loa, you have to offer something that is specific to that that one, that spirit. So some have an affinity for tobacco, um, some alcohol, you know, liquor, rum. In particular, um, sounds like and, some of my friends. Yeah, and perfume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, 
but you know, those type of gifts are offered uh, to bring about the possession of a specific loa. There are, according to the, you know, according to the voodoo practice, there are seven gates to the spirit world and they are protected by these loa. So depending on which gate you wanted to communicate through, um, it would, it would change which loa you needed to communicate with. Um, now this is an aside. They say that these gates, all seven are actually present in modern day Louisiana, that they're there. Right. You know, so, you know, again, we're, we're talking about basically the hub of voodoo activity Mm -hmm. in the Western world. Um, but, there is one particular loa that there's a good chance that everybody's, you know, heard at least in passing this name. Um, it, it's used a lot in popular culture and movies, and that's the name of Papa Legba. Now, Papa Legba, sometimes referred to by people that don't know as some kind of voodoo king or voodoo prince. In reality, Papa Legba is is another Loa, but he's a very special one because he is the great communicator. It is said that Papa Legba speaks every human language, so he can communicate to humans in their own language, but he can communicate back to the other Loa in the spirit world and to God. So he is commonly the very first Loa that is contacted in order to facilitate the communication. Right. Kind of the okay. middle man, the, the go-to guy for, hey, I need this. Can you find me this Loa? You got it. You got it. Now, he is commonly portrayed as an old man uh, walking with a crutch or a cane. He's wearing a broad-rimmed hat, and he's usually smoking a pipe. But he uh, he has several names um, besides Papa Legba. He, uh, he's known as... Um, also known as the devil, which uh, they refer to that in the uh, the Robert Johnson uh, song, the Crossroad right. Blues, or right. Crossroads as most people you know call it today, um, where he sold his soul to the devil to get his musical talent. Um, he went to the crossroads and he met with Papa Legba to to get his to sell his soul and to get his talent. Um. Curiously enough, Papa Legba, the other name, is the keeper of the crossroads. So to communicate with Papa Legba, that's one of the things you can do is, is go to a crossroads, you know, and, and call out to communicate with Papa Legba. And, and if, you, if you really look in and investigate um, modern-day voodoo and, and listen to some modern-day practitioners, they're going to tell you that the blues and jazz is voodoo. Right. That it's, it's creation and it's invention and the sound is voodoo. That's where it came from. And that, that goes back, you know, to the 1930s, all the way back to, to Robert Johnson, uh, selling his soul to the devil, you know, to get the blues. So, um, but Legba is, is not evil. He is, typically known as a friendly spirit. Um, like I said, he's the keeper of the crossroads. He's also the, the great facilitator, you know, so uh, 
a, a lot of uh, there's a lot of imagery in a kindly old man in a wide hat with a smile and a pipe that you'll see in a lot of uh, paintings around New Orleans, especially in the voodoo shops, right. because he's like I said, he's kind of like somebody's granddad. Yeah, you got it. So that that's what he is. Um, <clears throat> but we had mentioned the priest and the and the priestess or the Hungan priest or the Mambo, the priestess. And so I'm going to let Adam talk about probably the most famous voodoo priestess in history, uh, Marie Laveau. Right. Um, now, Marie Laveau, if you don't know her name, at least in, at least have heard it, then you've been living under a rock um, <laughs> or something. Um just as a as a side note, um, during my uh, trips down to New Orleans, um, I had found a cat and um, decided to name the cat Laveau. Um, turned out to be a pretty good name for her because she she was like the queen of the house and all that. So I had. Um, I had a cat named Laveau after Marie Laveau. Um, I spelled it a little different. I put the E-U-X on it because it was, you know, it was Creole. I had to put <laughs> that Laveau. It was kind of cool. It was, yeah, it was kind of cool, you know. <laughs> put that E-U-X on it made it cool, man. <laughs> anyway. Like a bad LSU fan. <laughs> right. Laveux. <laughs> All right. Uh, so Marie Laveau. She was known as the very first voodoo queen of New Orleans. Um, now I'm going to read a little article that I found that it kind of uh, kind of talks about her life, her death in a very short thing here. Um, so, uh, known as the voodoo queen of New Orleans, according to many eyewitness accounts, this was a title Marie Laveau not only earned but to this day has not relinquished. In fact, the crypt where she's buried, St. Louis Cemetery Number 1, is believed to be the most haunted cemetery in America. Visitors claim to have seen the ghost of the voodoo queen herself inside the cemetery walking around tombs in her trademark turban while whispering a Santeria voodoo curse to disrespectful gawkers. If you visit her grave, you'll notice that people still leave offerings, candles, flowers, voodoo dolls, all in hopes that Laveau will bestow her supernatural blessings. When people make a wish at her tomb, they return if their wish comes true, and they leave three X marks as a sign of their gratitude. Now, if you look up pictures of Marie Laveau's tomb, there are X's all over her tomb in sets of three. Um, also all the offerings that are around it. Yeah. And one of the things that I read was that she had such a love for the community that she was well known for helping the poor, right? the sick, homeless, hungry. She went above and beyond. She, she helped everyone. It didn't matter who you were, how much money you had. Now that she she was there to help because she loved that community. Right. Um, so the article goes on. Uh, it says, as a free woman of color, Marie Catherine Laveau was born in New Orleans on September 10th, 1801. She was the illegitimate daughter of a free man of color and a Creole mother. 
Historians believe that Marie's mother and grandmother were voodoo practitioners. In 1819, at the ripe young age of 18, Laveau married Jacques Paris, or Jacques Perry, um, however you want to pronounce it, with whom she had two children, both of which were believed to have died young. Her husband also passed away under mysterious circumstances. By the time she was in her 20s, she was known around town as the Widow Paris. This name would also be etched onto her tomb, which has become quite popular tourist attraction. After the death of Jacques, Marie became a hairdresser. Most of her clients were wealthy white socialites, which allowed her to be privy to the myriad of rumors and gossip that floated around the French Quarter. Because Laveau had access to a wealth of information from both the elite women she serviced to the servants and slaves, she was able to convince people that she was a voodoo priestess with mystical powers. She was basically a 19th century Miss Cleo. Laveau then entered into a common-law marriage with Louis Christophe Dominic... I should have practiced this beforehand. (laughs) Dominic Dumenet... De Glapion. Um, yeah. that, that is one long name. Yeah, try to say that a couple times. Yeah. Um, and they had seven children together. Unfortunately, only two of her children survived past childhood. In all, it's believed Marie gave birth to 15 children, of which one lived to adulthood. Um, so people from every strata of society began to seek out Marie's assistance with the spells and potions and everything. Um, It said that uh, she had the power to put a person into or out of City Hall. Um, She nurtured the sick through multiple epidemics, stood on the gallows ministering to the condemned, and was accused of causing the deaths through voodoo of both a lieutenant governor and a governor. Many condemned her as a witch, while others praised her as a saint. And by the 1860s, Marie ceased practicing voodoo in public. However, according to folklore, she continued to practice well into her old age. Now, her daughter, also named Marie Laveau, so Marie Laveau II, actually picked up the mantle where her mother left off. And it's it's said in some folklore about Marie Laveau that as she got older, she stayed the same age. But a lot of what they think is happening there is that the daughter picking up the mantle and going by Marie Laveau, the voodoo queen. So to people who didn't know them intimately, if they saw she wore the same turban her mom would wear and would walk around the streets carrying out the same duties as her mom. So it just looked as though Marie was not aging, but it was because her daughter picked up the mantle. Um. Yeah, there there was there was a story and they believe that it's it was just fed into by her daughter that Marie Laveau lived much, much longer than any human really should. Right. Right. Um but her daughter uh Laveau II um the was sequel. The sequel. Uh was Laveau the sequel. Behind the magic I don't know. Um she was known to have uh, wild rituals in the swamps around New Orleans. Um, and it's believed that during one of these rituals, she drowned in Lake Pontchartrain, um, which is a big lake there that I've actually fished. It's a pretty cool lake. 
Anyway, um, Marie Laveau the first is documented to have died on June fifteenth, eighteen eighty one. Um, the New, or- New Orleans Daily Picayune printed the following obituary. Those who have passed by the quaint old house on St. Anne between Rampart and Burgundy Streets with the high, frail-looking fence in front over which a tree or two is visible have been within the last few years noticed through the open gateway a decrepit old woman with snow-white hair and a smile of peace and contentment lighting up her golden features. For a few years past, she has been missed for her accustomed place. The feeble old woman lay upon her bed with her daughter and grandchildren around her, ministering to her wants. The paper went on to write that she died with a smile on her face and was buried in the family tomb at 5 p.m. in St. Louis Cemetery Number 1, and her funeral was attended by throngs of people. So, Basically, Marie Laveau was a big deal in New Orleans and continues to be a big deal in New Orleans. And she's really credited for bringing voodoo into the public eye because right. the the voodoo rituals that she would perform, as Adam mentioned, she would perform them publicly. And the the process of the voodoo ritual, again, to bring about the possession of Aloha, um, you know, involves a lot of, a lot of dancing, a lot of drums. You know, ritualistic movements. It's very open. Many times they'll use white powder on their face to to represent the dead, um, in order to communicate. So these these were really flamboyant outward expressions, and it made people pay attention because they hadn't seen anything like this and and it did it scared people but when she was so present helping you know they said she sold grigri to everyone right you know she she offered protection to anyone who wanted it yep and and for how she was loved in the city you know no there was no negative you know outpouring against her right so she was able to do this and bring the practice of voodoo, you know, to the forefront of New Orleans culture. Right. Now, there are stories that you will hear of the darker side of voodoo. So we'll touch on a little bit of the darker side of voodoo, um, which is it's not very prevalent. It's kind of in the in the outer lying areas of the voodoo practice. And as a lot of y'all know, every religious organization, every, every, everything has extremists and take things basically too far. Um, and that's kind of where these stories are going. So Matt, if you want to start out. So, um, one thing that you you may not have heard of before, um, if you're as old as me, you you may remember this, but um, the voodoo zombie. And I'm going to read a little excerpt um, from a story that was um, that was posted on Reddit. Uh, it was posted by a gentleman who said he was he was dating a girl who uh, was from the Dominican Republic, and he had met her while at university. And knowing her background and that she had, um, 
you know, some uh, Haitian family members. He asked her one night, you know, do you believe in voodoo? And her response was, I don't believe in voodoo because in order to believe, you have to open yourself up and, and let it in and be a part of you. And when you do that, you're giving people that would seek to do you harm channels to, to get into you. She said, so no, I don't believe it. But he could see the fear in her eyes, and he could tell that she was lying. So as the conversation went on, he finally got her to open up and begin to tell some stories. And this is one of the stories that she supposedly told this fella. My great-grandfather had zombies. He was a wealthy man, and he used them to work the fields. To make them, he had a voodoo priest make the transition. After being buried, they would be pulled out of the ground as shells of what they once were. Somebody taught me once how to tell if somebody was a zombie or not. It's all in the eyes. I can't remember exactly what they told me, only there is an emptiness in there. They mindlessly walk around doing their master's bidding. I have seen some walking around, you know, while I was growing up. My great-grandfather had a lot of them. They would work the fields as slaves to their master, but sometimes something would cause the voodoo magic to wear off. It was usually caused by an encounter with a past loved one or something that triggered a very powerful past memory. One of my grandfather's zombies had something like this happen to him, and the zombie tried to kill my grandfather. My mother was there, and she's told me the story many times. She said that she saw her grandfather stop the zombie from killing him and cut his head off right in front of her. So what they're talking about is the idea that voodoo can be used to turn a person into a zombie and essentially make them a slave. So we all have this idea of what a zombie is. You know, the Walking Dead zombies, you know, they're infected with something, you die, you change, and now you're back from the dead as this, you know, shell of a body. Yeah, you know, who can turn others. Yeah, who can turn other people into zombies. That's not really what this is, okay? But the similarities are there. So... There's a story of a man uh, in Haiti that this happened to. And so his name is Clervius Narcissa. So Clervius Narcissa is a gentleman in Haiti. And in 1962, he checked himself into a hospital because he was complaining of feeling under the weather. Over the next few days, he developed a fever, chills, trouble breathing, and what he described as a sensation of bugs crawling all over his skin. Over the next few days, the doctors pronounced him dead, and he was buried a couple of days later. That was in 1962. In 1981, Clarivius' sister saw him walking down the street. And that's a big, big shock because two American doctors had pronounced this man dead. So this became a fairly famous story when 
his sister saw him walking down the street. And a gentleman named uh, Wade Davis, who was an anthropologist, he was a grad student at Harvard at the time, decided that he was going to go to Haiti and investigate this. He was going to look into it, and you know, he was going to write a book. He said, this is going to be great. So he goes down and he begins to investigate um, what is this idea of these voodoo zombies, you know, that are that are present in Haiti. But what he learned was that there was a type of black magic priest called a bucor. And bucors are said to be able to bring the dead back as slaves. So in the case of, of uh, Clairvius, it's believed that a bucor put him in a trance that fooled doctors into thinking he was dead. Once he was buried, the bucor dug up his body and then sold him to a sugar plantation owner who used him as a slave. Okay. So Davis believes through his research that this is what actually, this is what actually happened. So, uh, Clairvius and, and other people like him that this has happened to um, was given um, tetrodotoxin. Tetrodotoxin, powder. yep. Wow. First time. Good job. So tetrodotoxin powder. Tetrodotoxin. I said it wrong. Yep. Got it right the first time, wrong Dang. the second time. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's a toxin derived from the puffer fish. Okay. And if given in the right amount, Think Japanese sushi with the yeah. the fugu, yeah, fish, yeah. So you know, poison, 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 right. tasty, tasty fish, right? So, <laughs> that's a Simpsons reference. If you didn't, <laughs> um, so they would use this, and it would produce uh, a comatose like state. It would slow your heart rate, slow your breathing enough that you would believe to be dead, and then you would be buried. And after right. a couple of days, all right, let's let's dig him up. So you're still in this kind of comatose state, um, and as you're kind of coming out, they're using uh, a drug called Datura, which is a powerful hallucinogen, and they believe the one that was given to uh, Clairvius was mixed with ground human bone. I don't. I don't know what ground human bones going to do, other than just make it spooky. So yeah, it, it's a, a spooky aspect to the thing. Um, and to interject real quick, the the tetrodotoxin and being put into that state, um, what it does is it deprives your brain of oxygen. So during that time of burial, during the time of being in that state, you actually develop brain damage, and this is what you see in the eyes of a zombie that dead look, the kind of thousand yard stare, the not being there. It's the brain damage from lack of oxygen. Yeah. So yeah, the lights are on, but nobody's home. Right. And by giving them the detura, you know, it caused the anesthesia, uh, the amnesia and the delirium that kept them in this zombie like state, which would allow master to control the zombie slave. Um, it was described that they, they couldn't do much, but they could do menial labor, like plowing a field, you know, things like that. Um, and that's what they were used for. You know, again, 
in these stories. And, um, you know, there's, there's documented cases of this stuff going on. There's just not that many documented cases of the actual zombies other right. than, you know, this story about, uh, about Clairvius. So Wade Davis wrote a book that was released in 1985 called the serpent and the rainbow. And it details his findings while he was there and the story of Clairvius um, and what he discovered while he was there. The, the book was made into a movie three years later in 88. That was my first experience with it. I can remember I was in eighth grade in 1988 and saw the commercial for the serpent and the rainbow and thought, well, that looks cool. Right. And so it's, if you compare it to modern day movies, it's, it's kind of kind of trite and, and silly, mm-hmm. but for the time, it's it's really it's really a good movie. So if you don't want to sit down and read a whole book about voodoo zombies, you can kill about a you know couple of hours and, and watch the movie. Yeah, um, the movie is fictionalized though. I mean, it, it's got it uses different names and everything, but it's essentially the same story. Um, but it's really cool, and it, and it does um, speak to the the darker side. Of voodoo, right? So, um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna kind of get into a little bit more of these darker stories, right? So, one of the one of the things here um, to kind of begin our ending of the episode is people mistake when 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 they think of the dark voodoo, the darker side. A lot of times, they're talking about juju. And juju is another aspect of a West African religion um, and that is normally in the black magic side. Um, it's, a, it's another religion that incorporates amulets and spells um, in a witchcraft-style ritual. Um, basically, an object is either... You either have an object that you infuse with an aura um, that is then used to control, hurt, kill someone, or help them. So it it can be good juju, bad juju. And we've probably all heard that saying, you know, oh, that's some bad juju, man. <laughs> I say it all you the know? time. And that, that's, this, is, this is where it comes from. Um, but also, an object can be taken of someone's, like a locket of hair, um, a piece of their jewelry, piece of their clothing and have that same aura put on that object to the same ends, basically to control that person. Um, it can also be like bad juju can be placed on food. Um, and when the person eats that food, they become ill and potentially die. Um, like I said, on anything that they could give you, like, you know, place bad juju on a necklace and they give you the necklace, you wear it, and that would create the the illness or the death of that person. They can also put it on a living animal. Um, so they could put bad juju on a living animal and send that animal to you, and you pet it and you're playing with the animal. There again, you've got the bad juju. So naming my restaurant Bad Juju Fish. Isn't a great idea? Probably not a good idea. No. 
a bad juju puffer fish, not a good restaurant. I'm not eating there. I'll tell you that. Um, so basically that is when, when people think of the black magic and voodoo, they're probably actually thinking more of juju, um, because it does incorporate the amulets and what could be considered the grigri bags and everything of voodoo, but it's in a, a darker side. Right. And one thing to take away from this, it's definitely something that Adam and I have taken away from is that voodoo is not at its heart evil. No. Um, you know, it's a religion. It's a, it's a practice. It's a way of life. And, and as we mentioned at the beginning, at its heart, it's about healing, um, you know, helping others, you know, healing relationships with others, um, you know, in a way to communicate with the one powerful God. In fact, I did read an article that says no voodoo altar is complete without a Bible. Right. You know, so, you know, this is this doesn't sound like something that's evil, but just like anything. You know, it can be manipulated and used for evil. So I was watching an interview with a gentleman who um, was a voodoo practitioner, and he describes it this way. He says, if, if you want to use voodoo to do something bad, you can do it. So he said, for example, you're up for a promotion at work, and you want the guy that is in line for your promotion to have a car accident. You go find, um, you know, a shady voodoo practitioner, and and this practitioner, um, you know, goes through a voodoo ritual to um, to bribe a loa, a spirit, to get him to to do this evil deed, and the process of this is uh, is called red magic. And the reason for that is because the spirits that are typically bribed in evil doing by a voodoo practitioner um, are red. That's their that's their color. We we mentioned at the top that uh, the loa have individual numbers, days of the week, and colors. And so these particular ones are are red. If, if you go back in in history, um, when the Haitians overthrew their French captors in Haiti. They summoned fire Loa to give them the strength and the power to, to be able to do that. You know, same thing. If you want to do something bad, um, you're, you're going to have to you're going to have to summon a spirit that's going to be going to be willing to be manipulated. You're going to be willing to be bribed uh, with an offering. Um, and he goes on to say, in voodoo, there is no black or white. There is no good or evil but there are good and evil people. And if, if voodoo is used to bring harm to someone, it's the fault of the practitioner, not of the magic. So, you know, it, it comes down to night, you know, you know, you, you get these ideas of voodoo. You think, Ooh, that's kind of scary. Oh, that's kind of creepy. You know, people throwing hexes and curses on other people at its heart. That's not what it is at all. Right. And and it's been it's been shaped into this by by, you know, Hollywood, by media, by books, you know, by 
trying to tell a really scary story. Yep. We're going to make something that, you know, we don't fully understand. We're going to twist it around and we're going to make it, you know, really scary. You know, I'm not going to say really interesting because it seems to me it's more interesting now. Yeah. After learning all of this, than it was back when you thought, ooh, you know, you know, yeah. somebody's going to throw a voodoo hex on you, bury your underwear in the yard, and you're not going to be able to leave the house, you know. Right. <laughs> all right, there was. Uh, I'm going to let Matt keep talking. There was a weird bang <laughs> in the other room, so I'm going to Matt. You we keep gotta, talking. Man down. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, like I said, in researching all of this. Uh, we learned an awful lot about what voodoo is, but more so about what, what voodoo isn't. And just like with any of our topics, if, uh, if we've got any listeners in New Orleans that uh, are practitioners or have family members that are or friends that are or just, you know, you, uh, you go to the shops and, you know, you, you, you get a candle and, and you... You know, you, you bless your house when you move into a new house to, you know, to to bring positive energy in there. Or, you know, you, you burn a candle when a relative dies because you you want to send them off, you know, well into the spirit world. You know, those are stories we would love to hear. Yep. Um, you know, we're up here in Tennessee. You know, there's not a lot of voodoo running around here. Right. Um, but, you know, it's something that that is you know, definitely, you know, has gotten Adam's interest from, you know, his visits to New Orleans, but, um, but it's definitely piqued my interest as well. Uh, so I'd love to hear more about it. So oh, yeah. send Absolutely. in some of those stories. And, you know, real quick before we end, I wanted to remind everybody that coming up, you've got from the time of this recording, You've got about a week, and I've been posting that on social media, to send in your stories. Right. When this goes up on Friday, you'll have a couple, three days um, to get in your stories for our Christmas episode, either personal personal stories that you have, some of your favorite ghost or scary stories. If you're a writer and you write scary stories, send those in. We're just wanting to make a cool, scary story Christmas, basically. Yeah. And uh, if you've already sent in, we've gotten some in. If you've already sent in a story, thank you very much. We, we really appreciate your uh, your effort to help us make this a really cool show. Um, and if you haven't, just come on. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be long. You know, it doesn't have to be something drawn out. You know, you don't have to be a writer. Uh, just tell us your story. You know, yep. we, we can we can correct your grammar and all that. Yeah. If, uh, you don't even have to use spell check. Just just send it on. You know, we're going to have a good time with this and we think you guys are going to enjoy it, too. So, uh, oh, absolutely. so send, them, send them on in. And while you're sending them in, um, take that time uh, after you hit the send button on the email then go over to wherever you listen to us, um, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, whatever. Give us a rating. Uh, give us, you know, leave us a comment. It really helps us out. It helps grow us and allows other people to find us. Um, it, it doesn't seem like much, and it doesn't take a whole lot of your time, but it means a whole lot to us. Um, also, you can do that on our Facebook page. Um, we would really appreciate that. Yeah, and and go to our Facebook page and join our Facebook group. 
uh, we're constantly throwing out um, ideas for uh, uh, topics to uh, to discuss and and sharing you know funny stories, scary stories, you name it. Um, you know, pictures of the dogs and pictures from here in the graveyard. Um, you know, we we want everybody to join because we want this group to grow so we can have a good time with it. Um, if you're on Twitter, tweet us. And uh, we're at, uh, well, as I say every time, just go search Graveyard Tales. I don't want to spell this out. Anymore. Right. It's pretty difficult. Thanks, Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, of course, you know, Adam's the tweeter, so he'll be the one that tweets you back. Yep. I'll tweet you good. So, anyway, we look forward to seeing you back in the graveyard next week, and we thank you for being here tonight. All right. See you soon. 